Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan, I don't really have a curveball for you this week, so why don't we get you started off by talking about this whole Ryan Saunders mess in Minnesota, for those that may have missed it, that happened a couple days ago. Okay, so, listen. My first first reaction when I see the news is not surprised because we watched the Timberwolves right before this happened, and... The, I, you know, there was a timeout and Ryan Saunders was talking to his team. And for the first time in my life, I had the thought, I'm like, why is Ryan Saunders still coach? It, it just like, it, I was just curious. It, it wasn't because I thought he didn't deserve it. It was just like, it just something in my brain was like, why is this happening? Why, why is he still coach? And, you know, you could you could make the patience argument thing and like I don't want I don't think you could say he's a bad coach because they just have constant injuries and like constant young players. Like there's no reason for them to be good. So how the team is coached is hard to judge at that point. But literally like the day after I thought this, he gets fired. So I'm like, okay, not surprised about that. And then about an hour later, they hire a new coach (laughs) and it's like, huh, are you allowed to do that? I literally don't think I've ever seen that in my, in my time of being an NBA fan, which at this point is like 12 years. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff and I don't think I've ever seen a coach. It's always like just an interim coach. I've never seen a coach hired in the middle of the year. And I wasn't surprised at who was hired. Like Nick Nurse's coaching tree is rapidly growing at this point. So for Chris Finch to get the job, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But again, are they allowed to do this? And I mean, I just feel bad for Ryan Saunders because they've probably been planning to fire this dude for months because I don't think you just, you don't hire a head coach after like one good interview. I mean, an NBA head coaching job is hard to get. So they've probably been talking to Chris Finch behind Ryan Saunders' back for at least a, a month or two. I mean, there's there's been some flirting, some footsie under the table going on for a while, you have to imagine. So it's shady, and, like, everyone always wants to talk about how the NBA is a business, which is true. It's it's You can't take anything personal, but, man – for them, to, for them to do that behind Ryan Saunders' back, I don't know. It's it's not a great look. And, Dylan, again, I can't claim to, that I know about a, a whole lot about assistant coaches. I've heard about Chris Finch for years now. Chris Finch, I believe, was an assistant under Gerson Rosas in Houston because, you know, Gerson Rosas is part of the Daryl Morey tree. But they had a qualified assistant coach that could just sat as the interim coach for the next – 35, however many games, and David Vanderpool, who is qualified. He's cut his teeth in Denver and Oklahoma City. He's been an assistant coach for a while now. You could at least throw the man a bone and let him be the interim coach. 
rather than doing this in the middle of the season, good, good on Nick Nurse, you know, and the Raptors, who we are talking about this week, for letting him coach in Minnesota. You know, obviously, if the opportunity presents itself, and obviously that they've been flirting with Finch for a while now, given the circumstances. I just think that is incredibly shady behavior. And this is a franchise with a remarkable history of shady behavior. Go look up the Joe Smith saga. All right. For those that don't know, because the Joe Smith saga happened when we were, when we were little children, Dylan, but basically they signed an under the table agreement where they were going to pay Joe Smith the minimum until they had his bird rights. Then they were going to give him a max contract. And this was something that a lot of teams did, right? You know, the mistake the Timberwolves made was that they put it in writing. They they lost first round picks. I think they the only first round pick they had between 2000 and 2005 was in 2003, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. They only had one first round pick for about five years because of how like inco- this franchise under Glenn Taylor has been incompetent for the last. 30 years, they have been the worst franchise in the league since they have entered the league. This is not an exaggeration. They have been worse than the New York Knicks. They had Kevin fucking Garnett, one of the 20 best players of all time, by any stretch of the imagination. And they made the conference finals once. They made it out of the first round only a handful of times. I think that I think that trip to the conference finals might have been the only time they made it out of the first round. If not, like they made it out of the first round, like maybe one or two other times. This has been a poverty franchise and (laughs) they have absolutely sucked. If you were going to contract, not contract, if you were going to relocate any team, I wouldn't say it's fair to the fans of Minnesota. But goddamn, this team has been so unremarkable in its whole time in the league. Like they have been so shady. And this is just another example of this. Like I thought there were 75,000 different ways you could have handled this whole situation better than the way that the Timberwolves handled it. But nope, they want to. They want to sign a coach under the table. Again, they have a fully qualified head coach sitting on their bench. Just let him get his interim status for like 35 games. What's the harm going to be? What's the harm going to be? You're going to suck anyway. Like just, just wait. There's nothing wrong with being patient. And I do know that this has happened before, Dylan. But it happened with Lionel Hollins when Lionel Hollins went to Memphis Mm. in 2009. However, it was also brought to my attention that Lionel Hollins had been an interim coach in Memphis before. So they were familiar with Lionel Hollins. Yes, I brought up that Rosas was familiar with with Chris Finch. And good for Chris Finch. This is one of the hardest jobs to get in all of sports, to be an NBA head coach. And I'm glad that he's getting a shot because by all accounts, he's an offensive genius. And he's very good at he's very good at coaching, coaching offense. And I think he'll bring something out of Carl Anthony Towns that has not been brought out of him before. That being said, this whole situation just could have been handled a lot better. A lot better. That's anything else to add, Dylan, before we move on? I mean, yeah, like this is not a Chris Finch thing at all because I think he's probably like, he's probably the guy for that job, you know, but it's just the way that it was handled because I mean, they could have hired Chris Finch in the off season, you know, I mean, there's going to be more jobs open at that point. Maybe Chris Finch goes elsewhere, but 
I don't know. I think doing in the middle of the season, I just think is a really bad look. And I have a hard time imagining the players liking that and thinking that's, that's good. I mean, it's, if you're a player, like a free agent, why would you want to go to a team that handles their business like that? I, these, these, the veteran type of guys that are going to take them to that next level. There's no way they end up in Minnesota. There's just no way. I mean, free agents didn't come to Minnesota anyway, but it's hard to see anyone coming to Minnesota now. Um, I do agree that Ryan, I thought Ryan Saunders has given a little bit of unfair shake, but he has sucked the majority of the time he's been in Minnesota. There's just no other way around it. Um, that being said, again, just give it to Vanderpool. Like the guys know him in the locker room. Like Cats already had a tumultuous ass season. <laughs> You're trying to accommodate this guy so that he doesn't demand a trade a la Anthony Davis. Just accommodate him. And then explain to him in the offseason, like, listen, Chris Finch gives us the best chance to optimize you and make you into a winning offensive player. Which, to be fair, I think he already is. But you you need to sell it to Cat that this is this Chris Finch is the guy for you. And I, I think that the they botched this seriously, but <laughs> I think we can actually go ahead. We have another Minnesota Timberwolves bit of news to talk about. This actually broke about a couple hours before we started recording. Malik Beasley had some legal issues in the offseason. Um, let me look up what those were so I don't talk completely out of my ass. I believe it was domestic um, domestic violence issues. And so let's see. Malik Beasley agreed. So he agreed to a plea deal with prosecutors earlier this month. That's a felony drug charges against him get dropped in exchange for the guilty plea. He's going to be serving 120 days in home confinement after the, uh, after the end of the season. So Mm. they are going, basically the NBA is suspending him 12 games for that because of the drug stuff. And um, I believe the reporting individuals off told officers that they had stopped their car in front of a house and a suspect walked up to their vehicle, tapped on the vehicle window, pointed a gun at them and advised them to get off the property. So that seems to be the Malik Beasley situation. Um, I'm not going to really comment much more on this because I don't really want to Dylan. (laughs) Nope. Not touching it with a 10 foot pole. I don't blame you. Um, So Beasley will be back sometime, sometime after the all-star break probably a couple of weeks after the all-star break. Cause I think there's about four more games left for every team before the, uh, for the end of the season. Um, Gary Harris has an injured groin. He'll be out indefinitely. We all know it indefinitely could mean however many days it could mean a couple days or a couple months. Indefinitely is such a, it's such a vague term. Um, Dylan, this is going to sound weird just to ask about his injury, but do you think it's time for the Nuggets to move off of Gary Harris? Um, I mean, see, when you when you said when, – when we're talking about Gary Harris' injury and it just doesn't feel like news, it just feels like another month. And it's, it's really sad that it's come to this, and it's not just because he grew up five minutes from me, but – and because he's almost single-handedly carrying Fisher's Indiana on his shoulders. But, <laughs> um, I mean, he was a good-ass player, man. Like, good as hell. He was a great shooter, great defender. I mean, he was he was the perfect – he was a perfect complement to Jokic. And he fit really nice next to Murray. 
And it's sad that now that Murray is finally becoming the type of player we wanted him to be, that Harris is, is just falling off a cliff like this. But yeah, I would have a hard time seeing him back there next year. Um, unless he's just a backup, you know, like they're going to replace him either way, whether he's on the roster or not, he's just proven that he just, he can't stay healthy. And when he is healthy, he's just not hitting shots anymore. So it's, it's hard to imagine them bringing him back, um, unless he's just in a smaller role. Can't think of anything to say add to that that you didn't already say um just some quick COVID news because that's the basically the rest of our injury news the spurs had to miss four games in the past week due to COVID, and they still have a ton of guys out due to it um rudy gay devin vassell Derek white and keldon johnson are all out due to due to COVID reasons and then demar Derozan is out for personal reasons i assume that he'll be back relatively soon but dylan that's like basically their whole rotation <laughs> i mean do you think that they could maybe with DeJounte and some, some basically scrubs, do you think they could tread water until they, those guys all get back? No, I don't. <laughs> all right. And then Dennis Schroeder has missed the last week with COVID-19 um, issues, and he'll be back this Friday. Um, the Lakers kind of took a little bit of a downswing. They lost to the Wizards, <laughs> which is, I mean, LeBron wasn't even trying, but... Dylan, I think a lot of their regular season success hinges basically on Schroeder and him being able to stay on the floor. You know what bothered me earlier? And I'm trying not to let these things bother me anymore because it's just stupid television. But I was watching Get Up earlier. That was your first mistake. Listen, Get Up is a football show. I just want to say that. It's, It's good for football. I think they do a good job covering the NFL. Every time they go to another sport, it's it's awful. So they have to try to balance themselves out, and they throw in a Lakers segment because the Lakers have lost four in a row, and it's like, oh, are the Lakers falling off or whatever it was? It's like their second and third best player are out. Just stop. And it, I'm just, again, it's my fault for watching these people, but – it's just so stupid. It's like it's just funny how how coverage never changes. And and this is exactly why Giannis is getting a cake from me because if it wasn't a Lakers story, it was going to be oh is this proof that uh, that Giannis should go to the Lakers in the offseason? You know, it's like they're going to spin everything into Giannis free agency. The fact that he resigned with Milwaukee was just one of the best things to ever happen to me. So again, I actually might have to buy him more than a cake at this point, but it's basketball coverage is stupid and the Lakers are fine. They don't care. Yeah, I know you stay off of Twitter a lot, Dylan, and it's probably for the best because today there was a Bleacher Report video put out about nerds and how they're ruining basketball. (laughs) And because I don't know if you saw Nate Duncan had a tweet. Yeah, we, there was a game where the our Raptors for the week, they played the Timberwolves and Anthony Edwards, which I'm sure you saw this dunk. Anthony Edwards absolutely yammed it on Utah Watanabe. And Nate Duncan, who, you know, if you're familiar with basketball media, can be a little bit of a contrarian. He went on there and he's basically pointed out that Anthony Edwards had sucked for the game, which is on brand for Nate Duncan. And people... <laughs> 
still and this dunk happened on Friday night. People are still mad about this tweet. It's been five days. Like, get over yourselves. Like, this is ridiculous. I don't care if anyone's ruining basketball. Like, I don't care if nerds are ruining basketball. I don't care if I test people are ruining basketball. Get over your fucking selves. It's a game. Enjoy yourselves. You know, part of the reason why I'm withdrawing from society is because people spend more time thinking about other people and talking about other people than worrying about their own life. I mean, Nate Duncan, for God's sakes, is like not even a top tier NBA media personality. You know, he NBA Twitter, he's big. He makes a lot of content, but he's not someone that a casual fan's really going to know. And NBA Twitter in general is a horrific place to, to live in. Horrific. Because it's just a bunch of people that do nothing but watch basketball and watch people talk about basketball. And some terrible things are bred from that. So it's – I have had many rants about Twitter. I don't know if I've done one on this podcast, but it's a bad place. And I'm really happy that I'm missing events like this. It, it just is mind-boggling that – so I watched this Voyager Report video today. I will move on. But basically the crux of the video was like nerds are taking the fun away from basketball because and the first it's like a minute and a half long video, right? The first 30 seconds are about the discourse about the dunk, which I agree with, you know, just just enjoy the dunk. It's a fucking great dunk, you know, whatever. The last minute of it, Dylan is the guy just ranting about, oh, analytics are ruining the game and they're messing up the legacies of AI and Kobe. That was that was a direct quote from the video. Who the fuck is messing up the, those guys' legacies? Those guys are cemented as all-time greats. Like, who is who is messing with those guys' legacy? No one. No one. They Everyone recognizes that they're great players, all-time greats. Yes, if you're, like, debating where Kobe's place is in the top 10, yes, you can pick some nits. Yes, you can like point to some stats and say whatever, whatever, whatever. But generally speaking, everyone acknowledges that Kobe is a fucking all-time great player. Top 10. I think everyone would solidly have him in their top 10, no matter who you're talking to. So it's just fucking reductive shit like that pisses me off. (laughs) Where this discourse is just stupid and I'm tired of it and I want to interact with it because, you know, I love debating. I can't help myself. But man, some of these people are stupid. <laughs> these people are stupid. Well, most basketball discourse in general is stupid. Like Agreed. And this is why this podcast is very dedicated to what's happening on the floor and solely that. Because that is what matters. And I understand that like, not everyone watches basketball for the same reasons. A lot of these people are they're interested in the entertainment aspect of it. So when, you know ex-player unfollows his team on Instagram, that's something big for them. Most of the time, that never turns into anything. You'd think people would learn at some point that, oh, Giannis unfollowed everyone on Twitter, but his teammates were included, so we got to make a deal out of it. You know, it's just so much of the discourse revolving basketball and really sports in general is unbelievably dumb, and people – you know, everyone wants to talk about how great the modern age is because you can share your opinions at any moment. 
I think that is a horrible thing. Most people should never, ever share their opinions. And the fact that they can do it is alarming for society. And even if it's something as small in the grand scheme of things as basketball, it's, it's really, uh, it's really debilitating. And, and I mean, it's, it's just a mess. And I don't, I could spend an hour shit talking Twitter and the people on it. So I'm going to go ahead and cut myself off here. There's like three good Twitter accounts for following basketball. I won't say three. You know, okay. So we're talking about Dragonfly Jones before this podcast. That, that is what basketball Twitter should be like very laid back, not taking it seriously, like making jokes about the league. If you want to make basketball fun, that's what it should be. It shouldn't be hyping up drama. That's ridiculous. Or like, constantly trying to tear down people that have more followers than you. I mean, how much of it is that like the Nate, the Nate Duncan thing, there's some of that cooked in there where there's so many people on Twitter that are like our age that think they deserve to be Nate Duncan. And the fact that he has this spot and I don't is so bad. I'm going to spend my life shit talking him. It's just, it's just so dumb. And none of those people put in like an eighth of the work that Nate Duncan does. Like, a 16th like something like about the top media guys is you know they put like their work in like you know yeah. that they're doing their jobs and i can't say that for joe 7597325 i can't say that so i feel like we're on our soapboxes here um let's go ahead and move on to our teams for the week so our three teams in case you missed it are the Los Angeles Clippers, the Miami Heat, and the Toronto Raptors. We will be talking about them in that order. And we're almost done with the whole league, Dylan. We are on our last three teams next week in the Orlando Magic, the Portland Trailblazers, and our Memphis Grizzlies. So crazy that we've already made it around the league. So Dylan and I probably agreed that we want to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers first. And the Clippers are having a pretty good season. They're 23 and 10, good for second in the West. Only three games this week, but they beat the Utah Jazz 116 to 112 in a full strength game for both teams. They beat the, they lost to the Brooklyn Nets 108 to 112 in a game where Harden may have flopped on a Kawhi potential and one, but I'm sure we'll talk about that. And then they blew out the Washington Wizards 135 to 116. So, Dylan, before the pod, you said you had a comparison for the Clippers. And I don't know how I'm going to feel about this, but you go ahead and you tell us what your comparison is. So, I think this year's Clippers are a slightly less talented version than last year's Lakers. And that mm. I am going to hate them because. They have two really good players, and the rest of the players are very unreliable. But as the Lakers proved last year, that is apparently good enough. So as much I don't I, I don't love watching the Clippers because it again, it's so much of it is on Kawhi and PG's shoulders. And yes, Marcus Morris contributes a good amount. Everyone else, though. Very, very unreliable. I mean, like, Zubac, first of all, Zubac's very good. Very good. Like, he, just watching him, and, like, he's definitely better as a backup center, I think. Like, I think he looks 
incredible as a backup center. Starting center, he's good, not great. It's a backup center. He's feasting right now. Now, Real quick before you continue, their center rotation is damn near elite. It is very good. Um, And, I mean, it was good last year, but, like, it was just the fact that you had to have Harold guarding Jokic. That's what it came down to. That's really what lost them the series, was that they had to have a 6'8 center guard the best scoring center in the league, basically, or the most all-around offensive, talented offensive center. So that that was their downfall. And, like, I mean, we both loved them getting Ibaka. Like, Ibaka has been so good ever since he got to Toronto. I mean, that really, I think, reignited his career. Like, not that he was bad with OKC, not that he was bad in Orlando for the half a season he was there. But once he got to Toronto, man, like something kicked in. And that year they won the finals. I mean, he was phenomenal. So for them to get him, and he hasn't been incredible. Like he hasn't been that great offensively, um, which they don't really need him to. I don't think that's why they brought him there. But um, I mean, that was a great addition. And being able to have Zubach off the bench is really nice. But the problem is... So they get Luke Kennard, which we both liked. He hasn't been that great, and he's hurt right now. He hasn't been as good as you would like. He's out. So we have Terrence Mann playing. I don't know about Terrence Mann. I think he's – see, what really annoys me is when a player gets frustrated and fouls in transition. Hate that. He did that against – the Nets, I believe, and it just pissed me off. I hate when guys do that so much. And it, it seems like it happens to Ben Simmons a lot, like they do it to him, no matter who's playing them. So every time I watch the Sixers, I end up getting mad at someone for that because Ben Simmons is just unstoppable in transition. But when Terrence Mann did that, like, I just don't know. I'm like, he's not a bad player, but he is nowhere near what they need. Like, if Terrence Mann is playing, you know that their 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 guard depth is poor because he is just he's not good enough. Lou Will is he's just close to the end, I think. I mean, he has his games, but like this Nets game, two of eleven. I mean, come on, really can't do that. Pat Bev is just so. Here's the thing about Pat Bev, right? He's supposed to be this great lockdown defender. I literally don't think I've seen Kyrie play a better game than I saw that night. He didn't He didn't put up the 50 points that we've seen him do in the past. But all around, I was just watching in awe. And Kyrie's been a guy I've loved for years because he is just so freaking talented. And, I mean, he was 2 of 11 from 3. Like, the numbers aren't fantastic. Like, 28 points. What really stood out to me about Kyrie was the passing, and he actually tried on defense. His defense at times can be so frustrating to watch, but he was good defensively that game, which I did not expect. Like, he was really trying. It's like he was trying to make a point or something. Um, but Pat Bev's supposed to be this lockdown guy. He didn't lock Kyrie up, I can tell you that. And he's not really hitting shots. You know, he's not going to get a ton of shots, but – I, I, it's just these other guys. And this is the same. If you listen to this podcast since the beginning, this is the same conversation we had about the Lakers last year. 
it's it's everyone else we're worried about. I mean, like Batum is a nice off ball ball handler type of guy, but he's just he's not. You know, they need another creator. We've talked about this for a while. They need another creator. Because there's going to be a playoff game where Kawhi and or PG gets shut down, and they're screwed. I mean, look what happened to them last year when Paul George had an awful playoff. They lost to the Nuggets. They should not have lost to the Nuggets. They had they had nothing else outside of Kawhi. And I'm just worried that the same thing's going to happen this year unless they somehow uh, are able to trade for a guard. If they could steal a Charlotte guard, right? Mm. If they could steal like Graham or Rozier, then it might, because Graham's a really good passer. Like that was something I noticed during our Charlotte week. I agree with most everything you said. I will say I love Pat Bev because I think I would love Pat Bev more as a backup though. Yeah. Where he's cutting off the ball. One of the problems to me, it's not Terrence Mann. I actually really like Terrence Mann. I think he plays hard. I do dislike fouls in transition greatly, so you're not going to see me disagreeing there. I think the real problem is that when Reggie Jackson has played almost all the games and (laughs) is playing 20 minutes a game, I am a noted Reggie Jackson hater. I'm not going to act like I like watching him play basketball. I'm just not going to lie to you all and act like I do. He He is a good basketball player. But he is very selfish for a point guard. He shoots a lot. He is not a like a very instinctive passer. I guess that's the way I would say it. Like on paper, Reggie Jackson is exactly what this team needs. Reggie Jackson is one of the greatest on paper players of all time. Like on paper, Reggie Jackson can fix so many of your holes, right? In practice, he doesn't actually do any of that shit. He's not good. He lost Luca. To go back to last year, he was somehow was on the court closing for the Clippers, which in retrospect should have been a, a scary premonition for what would have happened in the second round. But he lost Luka on the switch that got him that wide open three because that, that game winner he had last year in the playoffs was wide open. He is terrible. <laughs> he, he sucks. And I think that if you're playing, if you're relying heavily on Reggie Jackson, then you're screwed already. Like, you've lost the plot. This is where I'm concerned about the team. I think Lou Will will be relatively easy to dump. He is making $8 million a year. And if I had to guess, he will probably be going to Oklahoma City for George Hill. Just my early prediction. Because they make about the same amount. Now, does George Hill get it done for you? I don't think I'm willing to say that. Because he wasn't particular. Like, he was good last year in Milwaukee as off-ball guy. But... You could say Milwaukee had a lot of the same problems last year that that Los Angeles had. And you could say that George Hill didn't solve any of those problems. I think it's a fair statement. You'll have the best collection of backup point guards in the league if you have Patrick Beverly and George Hill on the same team. But I don't know. Like, if you could steal Monte Morris from Denver, they wouldn't do it. But, like, in free agency, if you could steal Monte Morris, I feel like Monte Morris is going to get paid Next offseason, I feel like he's going to get a real good contract. If you could steal Morris, somebody like that. You just need a guy who can set people up and create like a little bit. Monte Morris can create a little bit, and that's what you need. You don't need a whole lot. But again, we saw last we saw last year. Almost, almost can be good enough. 
I just think Utah is better. I think Denver will be will bounce back to where they were. And I think the Lakers are still better. So it's going to be interesting to see for sure. Where do you – so, okay. In a playoff matchup, fully healthy, who do you think wins the series? Utah or the Clippers? I think Utah probably would because – well, see, the problem with the Utah thing is I think Utah would be able to score a bunch, but – and we've talked about this with them against LeBron. They don't. They just don't have the size to guard PG and Kawhi. So that's like I think it probably goes seven games because I do think talent wise they're fairly close. And Utah kind of has this. They have a balanced approach. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is like supposed to be their best scorer. But really, any of those guys could do it on any given night. Like, if Mike Conley or Bojan is the leading scorer, that's, you know, not shocking. And Joe Ingles is heavily involved, too. Like, I don't know. Because, see, what I what happened last year was I, I have PTSD from the Lakers. I'll just say that. Because I kept finding their weaknesses and thinking it was enough. It never was. So, I guess I, I'd probably have to say the Clippers just because of that size on the wing. So, to go off of your play, I looked up Utah's roster because we haven't done Utah in a few weeks. The scoring distribution is about what you were saying it was. So, Mitchell's at 24. Clarkson's at 18. Conley's at 16. Boyan's at 15. Gobert's at 14. Ingles is at 11. Royce O'Neal has 8. And Derek Favors is getting six. That's a lot of contributions. If you want to come, I'll go back to the Clippers page. So Kawhi's averaging 27. PG's averaging 24. Then Morris at 13. Lou Will at 12. Again, I think he'll be off the roster come playoff time. Um, Surge at 11. And then Batum, eight or nine. Uh, Reggie Jackson, eight. Zubak, eight. So on and so forth. I do agree that Utah probably has more firepower. And I think that... I don't know. Utah might have just something special this year. Like that. And I don't know that the Clippers have. Because I do think Batum is a good addition to their team. And maybe, maybe the solution for the Clippers is just having enough marginal ball handlers that can do just enough to get Kawhi and PG past the, you know, past the finish line. But let's be real here. I don't think either of us think that they're better than the Lakers. I, I don't. I think we both still agree that the Lakers fully healthy are the best team in the West, and it's not really close. I mean, so you have to look at the Clippers through that lens. But yeah, what they've been getting from Kennard has been—he <laughs> is shooting forty-four percent from three almost. But it just feels like I feel like I didn't see him at all this week. I feel like I saw him only in the Wizards game and he wasn't good. It was a brick fest. And it's like, Kennard was supposed to be like a guy. I think Kennard will be the successor to Lou Will once he can actually handle the ball. I will say, I think Kennard's a good ball handler. But man, you've got to get Lou Will off his team fast. He is not helping you at all. He's You might have to get Pat Bev out of there too because those guys are still parroting the old, you know, oh, 2000, the year that they uh, got absolutely destroyed by KD in the first round. Those guys act like they're full of hot shit when they they lost in the first round to the Warriors. 
So maybe you just need to clean house with those, all those guys and just start from scratch. I mean, Kawhi Paul, George, Marcus Morris, and Abaka is a hell of a core <laughs> to start from. I mean, let's talk about Kawhi and PG because those guys have been great. What did you see from those two, if you want to start with either of them? What, what did you see from those two this week? <laughs> do you feel like they're playing differently at all, or do you think that they could play the way that they played last year with a little bit of improvement from the other guys and make the conference finals? Well, I mean, I just love Kawhi. I mean, he just gets his shot so easily. It's it's just amazing, like, in hindsight, what he's become. I mean, this dude came into the league as – he wasn't even an offensive player. And the fact that he's probably – it's, like, really him and Harden are, like, the two best ISO players in the league at this point. It's just – it's amazing that he's become this. Um, Paul George – he has his moments. I mean, obviously, he's been great this year. There's a lot of moments in the games where he just disappears. Like this Nets game, he had a great game. Like he had 34, 7, and 6. But there was a stretch in the middle. And, I mean, the Clippers ended up only losing by four because they had a great fourth quarter. And Paul George was a big part of that. But there was a stretch where they were down by, like, almost 20, I think. And Paul George just wasn't there. That That's what worries me in the playoffs is that I know Paul George has that very high ceiling. But, he, I mean, he's proven in the past that he crumbles at certain points. So that's, that's where I'm concerned because the Lakers last year, you pretty much always got what you needed from LeBron and AD. And that's why they were able to get through to the point where once guys started stepping up, they were able to really get going. The problem with the Clippers is I like I believe in everyone around them enough. Like Marcus Morris could give you 20 on any given night. You know, like he's very he's a very reliable guy. Like I I don't love his game because he's pretty much just give me the ball and I'm gonna shoot. But you know, every team needs a guy like that. And I think he actually yeah, I think he actually works pretty well with that team because you can take Kawhi and Paul George off the floor and just give him the ball, he's going to score. So that's a guy I can rely on. But the problem is, if he's your second best player, which happened last year, he was basically their second best player in the playoffs last year. That is why they were, that's why they lost. So that that's what concerns me. It's not, I mean, the supporting cast definitely needs improvement. But what makes it so they really like there's there's no other way is that I just don't know if I trust Paul George because he just has these moments where he fades in and out. And if he's not your second best player, it's going to be really hard for them to make the conference finals. Paul George to me has always been the kind of guy he thrives as an off ball superstar. Like his best year by far was 2019 the year where he finished like top three in the VP voting, I think with, and he was playing off of Russell Westbrook. He to me is best as a secondary ball handler who can attack off of a closeout because no one like he's got elite second option handles. I would say behind Kyrie, he is probably the best second option in the league. And that's crazy to say, because I would take Paul George over Kyrie as a basketball player. But I think Kyrie as a second option is just elite, but I think that 
Paul George just needs a point guard to thrive. And this is where bringing in a guy like Morris would help because Morris could get him the ball in the spots where he needs it. Or like, you know, obviously there would be another Morris. By the way, Clippers broadcast, quit calling Marcus Morris senior. That's really weird. It, should, it's, it bothers me. I don't know why. It just like makes me grimace every time I hear it. Like if you called a grown man junior, Dylan, like on a basketball broadcast that you weren't really from all that familiar with and didn't like, if you call a like if I was going to call, like, let's just say you were Dylan Hughes Jr. And you were on the court. And every time you caught the ball, I called you junior as the broadcaster. That would be a little, that would be a little weird, wouldn't it? I would never want anyone to ever call me junior in any context. <laughs> exactly. It's so, you know, I know senior isn't as demeaning, but it's, it's just weird. Stop it. Clippers broadcast. Um, <laughs> listen again. Kawhi, Paul George, Morris, and Ibaka. You have a hell of a, a core right there. And if the rest of the guys, and Zubak, I think Zubak is a great backup five. I think that they have a rock solid. Like, not maybe the best, but in terms of you're getting a pretty much the same production for 48 minutes, you can't really beat the Clippers in terms of you're just getting solid, solid NBA center play for 48 minutes. I think that they have a really solid core. They just need better guard play because again, Reggie Jackson isn't getting it done. We haven't seen Luke Kennard in the playoffs. Yes, we probably have, but like four games against the bucks. Does that really count? We've never seen, we've seen Luke Kennard in the playoffs once. I mean, I don't trust Reggie Jackson period. I don't trust Lou will in the playoffs. I just don't. He's, really inconsistent. Lou Will is really inconsistent in general. And the thing that was wonderful about him the last couple of years is that, you know, so last year, 18.2 year before 20 year before 20 points, 22.6. He been really good since he got to Los Angeles, but he's 34. He was one of the last high school to pro guys in the league. He's this is his. So let's see one. This is like his 15th or 16th season at this point. He's going to fall off. He's a small guard. There's no way he can keep this going. No way. I love Lou Will. He's one of the best NBA personalities of the last decade, for sure. But he's, just, he's got to go at some point. He can't keep playing. <laughs> like he's This year is a market drop. <laughs> I mean, the shooting percentage is pretty much exactly the same because he never shot particularly well. But man, if Lou Will's not taking 15 shots for you, what is he doing well for you? He can't. He's a great scorer. One of the best six men of all time. Dare I say the best six man of all time. But he can't do much else for you. And I think, okay, Andre Iguodala is the best six man of all time. But Lou Will is one of the best come off the bench scorers, and I'm going to get you points on a consistent basis. And he's been doing it for a really long time, and it's almost time for him to hang up the, hang up the sneakers. Yeah, and it's sad because – and you know the thing about Lou Will is he wasn't even trustworthy in the playoffs until a few years ago. When he was with the Rockets, I remember Zach Lowe talking about this, how he was worried that Lou Will was just going to crumble and that was what was going to get the Rockets out or whatever. And that was like the first time ever where Lou Will was v- – pretty consistent and reliable in the playoffs. And really ever since then he has been, but last year was just a, it was just a sign that he was on the way out. And I think right now we're seeing it too. And 
I mean, he was a great fit with the Clippers roster of like two years ago, but the change with them having such a concentration and star power now and his age, it just, he's just, he just doesn't fit what they need anymore. I couldn't say any better myself. Um, I feel like we touched everything we wanted to touch on about the Clippers. Anything else you want to say before we move on to the, uh, before we move on to the next team in the uh, heat? I'm ready for the heat. All right. Um, oh, I will say, we'll say before we move on to the, to the heat, I do feel like the Clippers still switch too much. I feel like I'm watching the Clippers and they're just switching everything. And yes, they kind of have the personnel to do it, but also you have Serge Ibaka. You don't need to switch everything. Like, don't let Lou Will get switched on to Kyrie. Or I'd say that's not. I don't know how much that happened in the in the Nets game, but you know those kind of things. Like, you can't let your best players get switched off and let someone else take the, that responsibility. For me, honestly, I kind of hate switching in general. I understand that the NBA is a little different, where you have to. I mean, you almost have to defend in the the with the, using the least effort possible just to save energy for offense. I think switching is kind of like the coward's way out. Like I understand it on some level, but like, just, just go over a screen. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that's the best way to defend. And I don't know. I, again, I understand switching on some level, but there's so many times where these switch happy teams like you said, it's like you don't want Kyrie guarding Kawhi, you know. If, if you have a defensive system that could produce something like that, it's not good. Exactly. Like, speaking of a team that has a defensive system that I, I love, the Toronto Raptors. Good tra- good transition there. The Raptors are 16-17, and 17, good for fifth in the Western Conference, or the Eastern Conference. The East is absolute clusterfuck this year in terms of how, like, absolutely atrocious it's been. 16 and 17 should not be good enough for fifth in, in my opinion, but they had a pretty, pretty good then bad week. So they, they beat the bucks 110 to 96 on uh, last Thursday. They then beat the Minnesota Timberwolves 86 to 81 in the game that finished it featured the Anthony Edwards dunk. They then played the Philadelphia 76ers twice in a row. First game, 110 to 103 Raptors. Second game, 102 to 109 76ers. And then they lost the Miami Heat 108 to 116. So, um, Dylan, the Raptors had a really rough start to the season. Do you think... So, okay. What have you thought about... What do you think of the Raptors after watching them this week? You know what pains me about this team? is that they're still a Kawhi Leonard away from the finals. <laughs> like, this team has basically not changed since he left. And I love watching them because with Nurse and just the players there, they always overachieve. It's like, man, if only they had Kawhi Leonard, they would they would really have a shot. So I guess I'm glad that they at least got one year where they could really reach their ceiling. But, I mean – you know, it's the same Raptors we all know and love. Like, I don't think I hate anyone on the team. No matter who they throw out there, it's like, oh, this this could be fun. And obviously not everyone's good, but, I mean, the fact that Stanley Johnson got three minutes last night is kind of appalling. I mean, three minutes, 
that's, you know, time is valuable. Stanley Johnson, not worth the time. Sorry to say it, but I mean, so we were talking, we were texting about OG last night about how he may be their best player. And it's just funny because I feel like that changes for me every game. Like one night, OG's the best player. The next it's Fred Van Vliet. The next is Kyle Lowry. Like this, their team is so good. And, you know, I wish that the Pascal of like the first half of last year was still here. I mean, he is just a great complimentary player. That's just, I think, what he's going to be. He He's not an MVP guy. He's just not. And the beginning of last year, we flirted with it a bit. He was playing really well. He's got a very good skill set on both sides. But he can't shoot, which we saw last year, that the shooting is not – that's not his thing. Um, and luckily this year he's, he's combed it back a bit. But – He's a great complimentary guy, and that's why he's – I think he's a great – like, this team is built so well because he can play off Kyle Lauer, He can play off Fred Van Fleet, you know. Like, this team this team just complements each other very well. And the bench guys, I just love their bench. Like, there's just something about Aaron Baines where I think everyone's expectations for him are so low. He's, like, always – he always pleasantly surprises you. And every time I watch Aaron Baines, like he just he'll like throw a shot over his head without even looking and make it. He's just like one of the weirdest guys in the league, but he's he's fun, and he he kind of fits their their mentality well. So I'm interested to see in the final stretch of the season, like after the All Star break, where they go, because I still think the talent's there for them to make a run at a home playoff seed. The East has been that bad, though. Like, there's three legitimately great teams in the East, in Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn. And then there's Indiana, who is hurt, but they're somehow the fourth seed. Let's pull up the actual standing, so I'm not talking out of my ass here. So Indiana's fourth at 15 and 15. Toronto is 16 and 17. The Bulls are 15 and 16, as well as the Hornets. Then there is a three-way tie for, I guess you would consider this the eighth seed, but Boston is 15 and 17. New York is 15 and 17. And then our other team for this week is 15 and 17. Atlanta's 14 and 18. (laughs) For context, you have to go, the ninth seed in the West is still 500. Like, the East, I don't know if it's really bad, or just really fucking competitive <laughs> where all the teams are about the same level of good. But the East is just a clusterfuck. But I think, listen, if Indiana still struggles for the rest of the way, cause they've been really like, they had a really hot start to the season and then they traded Vic, which I mean, it was a good long-term move, but for the short term, probably not what exactly what you wanted. And, They've kind of fallen off a cliff after that, which I don't blame them. They were missing two of their best players in Levert and Warren. So top four is definitely in play for the Raptors, but they just, to me, this is the problem with the Raptors and it always has been the problem with the Raptors. I love their pieces. Norm Powell might be their best half court attacker, which is a problem. I say might be, he is definitely their best half court 
drive and kick guy, drive and shoot guy. He does not, Norm Powell's not even kicking that much. He's only averaging 1.7 assists a game. Their two best inside guys are OG and Norm, who are combining for 30 points a game. You need one guy who can average close to that, and they don't have that. Van Vliet's playing his fucking ass off this year. I didn't think he could be this good. I'm now at the point, because, you know, Dylan, I used to never believe this. You know I'm such a big Lowry guy. We only saw one Lowry game this week. He just came back. Um, He came back yesterday against the Heat. I'm ready to say that the Raptors are ready to move on from Lowry because Van Vliet's that good. I was not ready to say that this time last year. Hell, even in the bubble last year. Van Vliet's been fucking on fire. He's shooting 38% from three on nine attempts a game. He is absolutely just killing it out there. Yes, the two-point percentage is not what you want. But he is a pull-up machine, averaging seven assists a game. His defense is incredible. Like, Fred Van Vliet, to me, just watching the Raptors, they would not be anywhere near this good this season. He's played in every game. If he hadn't played in every game, they would not be 16 and 17 because he has been just that incredible to me. Like, I don't, I never saw this coming from Van Vliet. Did you know that Van Vliet is averaging 0.8 blocks a game? You know, the Raptors announcers, who did they play before the Heat? Whatever. The 76ers. Yeah, the Sixers. So the Raptors announcers, who, by the way, you mentioned how they're one of your favorites, and I kind of, balked a little bit i i agree after listening to them they're 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 very fun i i very much enjoy them um hello (laughs) i mean it's i had a smile on my face like half the half the game so they were talking about how van fleet should be considered for first all team defense and i was like whoa like let's Let's chill here because I haven't watched much Raptors this year. And then like two minutes after that, he had gotten like two steals. I'm like, hmm. Like I see where they're coming from. I mean, for his size, he may like he is an incredible defender. <laughs> like he is so pesky. His hands are always poking it. He's always poking at the ball. I mean, he's always poking at it. Whether he's in the paint or he's on the perimeter, he's always poking at it. I mean, I just feel like he he's always up in your jersey. He's like one of those guys. I mean, he would be very frustrating to go against. And, you know, it looks like Lowry is probably going to be moved. Not sure if it's going to be now or later. But, I mean, by the offseason, he's probably gone at the very latest. But, like Lowry and Van Fleet are a great defensive backcourt, and and they come right around on the offensive side too. I mean, last night they were nine of eighteen from three. You know, like that's that's tough to get, and obviously it's not every night. But I mean, those those two are a great, really great fit together. And the thing about Van Fleet is, I think he kind of needs to play with a Lowry type. I don't know if he can be the best guard. Like I think he's best when he's playing with another really good guard. So if they do move on from Lowry, I would like to see them try to replace him with a similar type of guy who a guy that doesn't need to shoot a bunch of shots that likes setting others up that that's who I would like to see in their next phase. But yeah, I mean, he is, he has just been phenomenal this year. 
I mean, I like the lineup though. Like, so I have the lineups page on um, Cleaning the Glass pulled up with. So the lineup I have pulled up right now is Van Vliet, Norman Powell. I guess this is DeAndre Bembry, but Pascal Siakam and Chris Boucher. That lineup in 75 possessions is plus 17.4. Like, I think what you're saying has water, right? But we've also not really seen too many traditional shooting guards in Toronto. I mean, I guess DeRozan, if you want to say that, but like in this latest iteration of Toronto since DeMar's left, they had Danny Green. And then last year they tried out the two-point guard lineup. And this year they're doing the same thing. I don't think it would be a terrible idea to start, you know, Van Vliet, Powell, Ananobi, Siakam, and then who I don't think Boucher can start. And I want to talk about Boucher in a second because I'm really impressed with him, but I don't think Boucher is capable of starting. I think he's a really good backup, but I think he's too small to start. But hell, Baines really struggled at the beginning of the season. And this is, this is shocking, Dylan Hughes. This is just absolutely shocking that a guy without a training camp would really struggle to acclimate himself at the beginning of the season. I am just absolutely floored that it would take a guy time to integrate himself into the construct of a team after not having a training camp. Dylan, this is absolutely just shocking stuff. Wouldn't you agree? You know, it's sad because after last year with the Suns, where he was an MVP candidate for the first 15 games, I mean that that's what he can be with a training camp. So I mean I say I say we just fast forward the next season and and see what we can do with him because he's proven it that when he has a training camp, he's pretty undeniable. And so I will say the thing about this Raptors team to me is that they are just far and away probably the best transition offense team in the league. Like, no one, they have Siakam, they have Ananobi, they have Van Fleet, they have Powell, they have, they just have so many options to attack you in transition that this team is always going to be, so let me pull up the uh, Toronto stats real quick. So, play context transition for cleaning the glass. They are currently first in the league in points, it, per, points added per 100 in transition. They are second in frequency. Points per play, a stat that you like for, you know, a bit for Brandon Clark, 130.8, fourth in the league. Off steals, sixth. Frequency, sixth off steals. And then off live rebounds, third. This team is basically just, if you if you don't make the shot, <laughs> you're screwed. Unless you send all five guys back. Even if you send all five guys back, they're that good. Where they could probably still score on you off of a moving defense. What you were saying about Siakam being a supporting player is incredibly true. I mean, just look at what he's averaging for the Raptors this year. He's averaging 20.21 excuse me, points per game, 7.5 boards, and 4.8 assists, and 1.2 steals. This man is kind of like a Swiss Army knife. Now, do you want to get the big jobs done with a Swiss Army knife when you could do a big, use a bigger tool? No. But if you need to get a lot of smaller jobs done, then the Swiss Army knife is perfect. And I think that he eventually is going to play small ball five. Although it was very concerning watching him try to take Joel and beat off the dribble and him like, you know, guys usually do that move where they try to start at half court to try to get the head of steam and then try to blow by the guy. Siakam couldn't blow by Embiid. Like Embiid obviously was playing lower, but even like with the burst, he couldn't burst past Embiid and Embiid blocked a shot. And that was, that's concerning to me because a guy with his athleticism should be getting that shot off. Like if that was Shea Gilgis Alexander in that situation, and I know completely different skill set, but I mean, that's the thing. 
obviously shorter, but like not much shorter than Siakam, he'd get that shot off. You know, Norm Powell would get that shot off. Norm Powell somehow gets off these shots at the rim where he should be blocked <laughs> at least three times in one possession. And somehow the ball goes up and in the basket. He's like, Eric, he's Eric Gordon without the pub. I'll say that. Norm Powell is Eric Gordon without the pub. And this team is an amazing three-point shooting team, Dylan. I don't know if you bothered to check the ranks, but they're third in three-pointers made a game. They're fourth in three-pointers attempted and sixth in percentage. This team rains threes down. Like, they're really good. And then I'll have to check the box score for the Sixers games, but they did a really good job against Embiid this week. So the first game, they held Embiid to 3 of 13. He's still at 18 because Embiid can get to the line at will. And then the game before that, they held Embiid to 6 of 20. Their half-court defense, literally this team would be perfect with a Kawhi because their half-court defense is great. Their transition defense is great. Their transition offense is like damn near perfect. They just don't have a half-court option that appeals to me, I would say. Yeah, and you know, the thing I love about them is – and this this goes into just having such a balanced attack, but like they they all are so in sync with each other, and they they all move the ball so well. And I think that's why they're such a good shooting team. Is I mean we've talked about this a bunch. Like it's just kind of basketball fundamentals. If you pass and pass and pass, there's always going to be someone open. Just the way NBA defenses move, there's always a guy that gets open because there's always some idiot that overhelps. It doesn't matter if you're at the professional level or not. There's always an idiot that overhelps every time. And some some really good defenses won't. You do see it occasionally. And, hell, even this Raptors team, you see it a lot because they're very – I mean, it just goes in coaching. Like, first of all, watching Nick Nurse versus Eric Spolstra, I mean, what a treat. You know, like you're going to see two really well-coached teams, and that's why that game was enjoyable last night. But – they just – they're so well in sync with each other. And and back to Norm Powell, every single game I watch him, there's at least two times where I'm like, how in the hell did he get to the rim? I mean, it is unbelievable. It's like there's there will be a very good defender on him playing very good defense, and it's like he contorts his body to just move around them and just get to the rim. I don't understand it. I don't think I've ever seen a player that that moves like him that's able to just get to the rim at will. It's really amazing. And and I think that's another thing that's so good for this Raptors team is is their dribble penetration is awesome. I mean, Siakam, like you mentioned, when he's going up against an Embiid type, struggles to get to the rim, which we've seen before. Like it's not surprising. I I think he's he's always better against smaller guys. Because he has a good enough dribble and enough strength where he can just blow past a guard. I'm trying to think. It was in the Sixers game. Some he shook someone up. I think it was Shake Milton. He Shake Milton tried to front him in the post. It was not happening. He just he he made a really nice dribble move and got right around. Him. But their dribble penetration in general is really good. OG, I think in two years, OG is probably going to be like an All Star level guy. I mean. His offense is just slowly ticking up each year, and he gets more and more responsibility each year. And obviously, we know what he can do defensively, but and, and maybe it may be getting rid of Lowry is what it's going to take for him to get you know enough enough of the ball to really grow properly. But 
he's he's close and that's why like not to look too far out but i think the future of this raptors team is really bright even if they do get rid of lowry i think that og he has just some of the touch he has on some of those shots he's hitting is fucking ridiculous he's hitting spin moves fading away you know off of contact like how the hell is he getting these shots up he like the way I love that they're using him is like, you know, cause a lot of teams are playing zone now and against the Raptors, it's pretty stupid. I have to say, because again, they have pretty much three to four bombers on the court at any time, but they're using Ananobi in that free throw line role instead of Siakam, which I think is really interesting because that means they trust him right. To do stuff with the ball. If he has it to make the right pass, this team is full of guys that make the right pass, right? Like he caught one of those elbow touches, not elbow, but I, he caught it at the, um, at the nail and he dribbled in and he found, I think it was Bembry on a backdoor cut. And it's like those little things, like that's really promising for me. I think he could be like early San Antonio Kawhi, like 2000 before he broke out basically like where he was like averaging 18 points a game on stellar defense and stellar shooting. He's shooting. Oh gee. Let me pull up the um, shooting stats real quick again. He is shooting 39.7% from three on five attempts a game. Like everything about him seems real. And I'm, I really want to see him with more usage. Um, I feel like we haven't talked about Boucher at all. <laughs> and I love Boucher. He is all limbs. He's got the funkiest, funkiest release ever. Dylan is Boucher the best backup center in the league? I guess I'll just ask that. Oh, man, that's tough. We've been talking a lot about backup centers lately. Last week it was Nas Reed, earlier Zubach. I really like Boucher. He's, like, perfect for what they want. I mean, gosh, that's a tough question. I'd have to really examine the league. Is he better than Daniel Gafford? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that means you think he's better than Wendell Carter Jr. I'll, I'll be right. I gotta, I gotta aggregate this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've been looking at the Bulls stats, and as soon as we talk about them, and Wendell comes back, Wendell has been awesome, and I don't think Gafford's even played. So that that take may have sizzled out real quick, but. <laughs> At, at the time, I think it felt right. We can only react to what we see. Exactly. Listen, we we don't we unfortunately have lives outside of this podcast, and we can only watch so much basketball. And that's why this system of watching three teams a week is nice. You know, we can we can manage that. But sometimes, sometimes the takes aren't fully. Uh, developed because we only have a limited sample size so you know there's going to be a few daniel gafford over window carter takes and they may hit they may not but you know you just got to realize that this is a uh this is currently an amateur podcast we only have so much time on our hands but uh you know i i will live and die by the takes either way of course, it's what you have to do. I will say, I don't think we watch any of these three teams other than last week's game against Miami game against Golden State. I think that was the first time we saw any of these three teams this year, which is crazy. <laughs> we've we've done 21 teams up to that point and we hadn't watched the Clippers, Raptors, or the Heat. And yet we get subjected to the New Orleans Pelicans every week. 
Hey, two I week mean, streak. I just don't understand it. And I will say, I am slowly coming around on them because Zion has just been insane. And that alone makes them watchable. But the the luck we've had to just constantly end up with them, I don't understand. But again, you know, it, it's sad that and I I am not gonna complain that I haven't watched the Clippers this year because I just don't really care about them. The Raptors and the Heat, I would like, and we got lucky with the Heat that they're just now getting healthy. I mean, we unfortunately we're and we're gonna talk about them, so I guess I shouldn't say anything yet, but you know, we've we got some good timing, and I am happy we finally got the Raptors, and it seems like it's a good at a good time. Good news, Dylan. No Pelicans next week. So for any of what our teams. What a blessing. What a blessing indeed. Um yeah, Boucher to me, I love the way he's playing off the bench. He's a real solid rim protector in addition to you know the three-point shot, which is honestly what you want out of a backup center at this point. Like if they aren't you know, 300 pounds, not 300, but like 250, right? If you're, if you're going to have a bruiser, this is about the best case scenario. And he is stepping up to the challenge. He's been playing out of his mind this year. Again, I don't think he can be a starter just because he's too small. Um, and I will say before we move on, I really like, I figured Toronto would be a good fit for DeAndre Bembry. And I was right because I liked what I'd seen from him in Atlanta and he is playing really well in Toronto. He's not playing a whole lot, but listen, they have a good stable of a little below average wings. And I think that they can make do with that, like as their backup threes and fours and twos. Well, you know, you can see what this team is going for based on the Bembrys and the, and the Baineses because this team is full of guys that dive on the floor. You know what I mean? I thought you were and, gonna say full of the last name B, like the uh the J okay. the J names from last week. Well, let's see. I'm seeing Boucher is obviously in there, so that's three, but that's that's it. That's the the J the J thing is gonna go down in history. I really believe that. But <laughs> but this in in watching the games we watched this week, I mean you could see like you can never count them out just because of their effort. And I mean, that like the end of the Heat game, like they gave the Heat a run at the end because they were just playing such great defense. And I mean, we talked about their transition offense. Like when you have a defense that's so active and, and a bunch of active hands constantly flying around and you have guys that can score in transition, I mean, they they could close the gap quickly. And we've seen it. Like they are typically operating in a talent deficit. Like the Sixers and the Heat, they just don't have the talent to – I mean, they, they have the talent to win those games, but it's tougher. Like, they have to really fight. But just be based on their effort alone, like, they are able to come back against almost any team. So, that's what they really have going for them. And as far as trades, I mean, they talked about Andre Drummond. I don't know. I don't think that's the direction they need to go in. And when I saw the, the guy they're thinking about trading for Drummond is Powell, I'm like, I don't think that's – I don't know. I mean, talent, just paper on paper, like that's probably a fair trade. But I don't know. I just – I say you either, you either stick with what you got or you just get rid of Lowry and kind of do like a mini rebuild. 
because trading Lowry, you don't need to do a full rebuild. I mean, obviously he's very important to what they do, but you still have a bunch of good players there. I mean, you could trade Lowry and still make the playoffs, especially if you're getting back players that are good now. So, you know, I, I, in the, one of the brief moments that I was on Twitter recently, I follow a Sixers fan that was talking about a Lowry trade. And he mentioned Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey on this team, obviously right now, wouldn't be incredible. But him, him and uh, Van Fleet would be quite an interesting backcourt. I would think they would have to do Tobias Harris and Maxey, which I think actually would solve kind of both of their needs. Hmm. I don't hate Tobias Harris on the rafters, but let's not speculate on Lowry trades yet because we don't even know if he'll he will be traded. Um there's still we still got a month before the trade deadline, Dylan. So there's a lot of time. It it just gets exciting, man. <laughs> Who doesn't love a good trade trade discussion? <laughs> but in the interest of time, because I feel like we spent a lot of time on the Raptors, and rightfully so, because we both love them. Um uh, actually we went out of order. We were supposed to talk about the heat next, weren't we? Fuck it. Yeah, I, I just let you go with that one. It felt it felt, I, felt I like pre- it. I appreciate it, buddy, because I just I got really caught up. I love talking to the Raptors. Um, the Miami Heat, <laughs> they are in a three-way tie for the eighth in the Eastern Conference. They are coming off of a perfect 4-0 week. This coincidentally may or may not coincide with Jimmy Butler coming back. Um, they beat the Sacramento Kings 118-110. to They beat the Los Angeles Lakers in a close context. Contest 96 and 94. They beat the Oklahoma City Thunder 108 to 94. And they beat the Toronto Raptors that we just talked about yesterday 116 to 108. So, Dylan, obviously, this team was very ravaged by COVID and injuries at one point. They're slowly starting to bounce back. Do you think that this is one of the top six teams in the Eastern Conference? I'm going to say yes because they have not had all their good players healthy at the same time. <laughs> I mean, as soon as they get Drogic back, Hero's out. And obviously we've discussed prior that Butler and Bam have missed time. I mean, they've just had so many injuries and Avery Bradley, I don't I don't know where he is. I I I think it's COVID. No, I mean, it's okay. I have the injury report pulled up for the heat. So on Thursday, February 4th, Bradley will miss three to four weeks with a calf. Okay. And so that means he should be back either this week or next. But yeah, it, he has been a huge loss for them this whole season. But continue. Sorry. Yeah. And again, this is this is one of the negatives of not watching a team for an entire season before this week is that the Avery Bradley context is pretty much non-existent, but I mean, you could see watching them this week that they really needed Avery Bradley because listen, I'm looking at the numbers and apparently I caught a bad time to watch Max Struss because he was awful this week, but he's shooting 92% at the rim because he's 12 of 13, which is pretty interesting. Um, I'm not sure how that happened, but the the games that I saw, I think he made like two co- combined threes and that was like all he did. So it's like, this is supposed to be your backup point guard, I guess, or your backup shooting guard. I mean, that's, that's just where they are right now. Like they're, they're two guys short, I think. And again, the injuries are going to fix that. 
when Hero comes back and Bradley comes back, I think they're fine. But so we we talked preseason about the four position with with Jay Crowder being gone. I mean, Kelly Olenek is a good player. I don't I don't want him as my starting four. And I just I don't know. Like he hasn't been good from three this year, but he continues to shoot threes. And he's white. He has to. I know. <laughs> I know that I know that it's it's baked in that he has to shoot some threes. I get it. But he's he's good close to the rim. Like he's he's very efficient inside the three point arc. And I know that he's had success shooting the three before, but and I know I guess he somewhat has to be a floor spacer just just because they have Bam and Jimmy on the floor at the same time. Like you can't have three guys that aren't shooting threes. So I, I get it. But again, that's the problem. Like they just they don't really have a great option at four. Like so precious uh, you probably have a better idea how to say his last name. Achua. Achua? Yeah. The so, name that most sounds like a sneeze in the whole NBA. <laughs> Yeah. So I like him. I think I probably wouldn't like him if he was a starting four, though. That's the problem. Like, I think coming off the bench, he's good. Like, he, he kind of reminds me of, like, a Montrez type of guy, um, which is good. Like, he's he's going to be a good player for them. But he doesn't fit exactly what they need. And I'm just – I'm interested to see what happens because – this is essentially the same team as last year without Jake Crowder. And that's really what it comes down to. But if you watch last year's playoffs, Jake Crowder was massive for them. Everything they did on both sides of the ball, Jake Crowder was involved in pretty heavily. And losing him was going to hurt. And they still have a lot of talent there. But, yeah, I to answer your question, I do think they can be a top six team in the East. But for them to move up, they somehow have to make an upgrade at the four. There aren't a whole lot of fours going around. I mean, there's one pretty obvious answer down in Houston that's pretty cheap. That's, you know, his name is PJ. Um, that's an obvious answer. That this They need PJ Tucker probably more than any team in the league needs PJ Tucker, I would say. Like, Brooklyn, I, I would have had up there too, but now that they've kind of, now that DJ is actually giving a shit, <laughs> I don't think they need him as much. But... I agree with pretty much everything you said. This is exactly the same team as last year, and they've just been injury riddled all over the place. Drogic just came back yesterday, um, and he has not been anywhere near peak Goran Drogic. That's another guy that's getting up there in age, like kind of like Lou Williams. He hasn't been in the league as long, but he's, you know, I'm sure Drogic played in Europe before he played in the NBA. Like, I don't think that's an unfair assumption. So he's probably been a pro longer than Lou Will has, as crazy as it is to say. And they need Bradley. <laughs> He's only played 10 games for them. And they just need that kind of guard depth because they needed that point of attack defender that they lacked last year, which ironically was a huge upgrade. But if he can't stay on the court, then that's no, that's not a thing. Um, Max Struess, are, did he just find like the guys that can shoot and do nothing else and just turn them into players? Like Duncan Robinson got benched in college <laughs> and now he's shooting eight, eight and a half threes a game starting for the heat. And it was a pivotal role 
a pivotal part of their finals run last year. Like they can just find anybody and turn him into a shooter. And we haven't, we didn't see a whole lot from hero this week. Cause he tweaked his hip in the Lakers game, but 17 points a game for hero. That's a pretty good progression compared to where he was in the playoffs last year. If you can consistently average 17 a game, I like their chances, but I want to talk about my guy, Jimmy Butler. Holy shit. <laughs> he came back and was on a tear. Like this week was like, no, fuck you. I'm one of the 10 best players in the league still. And you can't deny how good I am. I, so he's been playing for a little bit, but this week he really asserted his dominance. 13, 13 and 10 against the Kings in a light work game. So for the week, he averaged 20 points, 9.3 assists and 7.5 rebounds. And the thing that's always great about Jimmy is that you can always rely on him getting to the free throw line. He is one of the best foul drawers in the league outside of James Harden. He got to the line. It was low for him this week. It was 7.3. But in the past, he's gotten there like eight, nine times a game consistently. And that's going to be, I think, what draws his team out of the rut. Because Bam is good. And we'll talk about Bam in a little bit. But I don't think Bam can draw you out of that rut with the foul drawing in the same way that Jimmy Butler can. I think Jimmy is superior in that regard. Um, I, I guess we'll move on to Bam now. And I'll, I'll ask you a question. I'll ask you a question that I thought of. So you're starting a team from scratch. Who would you draft first if you had the choice between these two guys? Ben Simmons or Bam Adebayo? Simmons. <laughs> Not even a thought. As much as I love Bam, this year I've really seen with Simmons because I think the team around him fits better. That dude is like a superstar quarterback. I mean, I, I think he – if he has the right players around him, I think he can be absolutely phenomenal because with with more shooting around him this year and that beautiful counterweight of Embiid – I mean, that's that's why I really believe in the Sixers for the first time in, like, this era because I think they finally have they, – they've gotten close to really cracking the code. And, I mean, watching Simmons, like, he's such a decisive playmaker, and when he has guys that can actually finish the plays, it's amazing. Um, so, I, I as much as I love Bam, and I think I would be happy to start a team with Bam, I, I would have to go with Simmons. That's interesting. I would have to think about it, but I'd probably end up in the same conclusion. But I just love everything Bam brings to the table. In addition to being, I don't know, Bam cuts. I would say the one thing I like about Bam is that Bam's a better cutter than Simmons and can kind of do more for you off ball. That's about it. But did you see anything from Bam that was different from last year? I know people were talking about his pull-up dribble game earlier in the season. I didn't see much of that this week, but what did you see that you like from Bam? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the same stuff from last year, but, I mean, that stuff is awesome. <laughs> I mean, he out, – outside of the shooting, he does it all, man. Like, he's he's very hard to guard down low, and, like, he's an undersized center. And for him to just score at will down there is really amazing. I mean, he's so strong, and, like, he's so smart at, with his positioning. And for big men, a lot of it is just positioning – because the the more work you can do before getting the ball, the better. And he he is really good at getting himself in a good position to score. And the way their team moves and with the shooting they have around him, 
I mean, it just complements his passing so well too. But yeah, it's it's a lot of the same stuff, but it's it's great stuff. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And Bam to me is always one of the most interesting players in the league, just because he can do so much. I will say we did have, you know, if you want to count the Warriors game from last week, we did watch five consecutive Heat games. And it was kind of damning that they weren't able to beat the Warriors without Draymond, but that wasn't Bam's fault. Bam put up to like 24, seven and five. I do want to see this whole team though. I will say, I want to see what hero does when Jimmy's back. I want to just see the whole picture, right? I want to see if Goran can do a little bit more. Um, I feel like we touched on everything Miami. Do you have like anything to say about Kendrick Nunn or anything like that before we well, wrap it up? Well, yeah. What I was going to add with, with the Goran part is you kind of need Goran to be good because Kendrick Nunn is a, is a very good scorer, but there's just something about him I don't really trust. And maybe it's, maybe it's defensively, but – I mean, if you look back to last year's playoffs, Goron shooting was maybe the second most important factor behind Crowder. And in that Buck series, I mean, Goron was just massive. And I've I've railed on on the Bucks defensive strategy in that series many a time. Um, but yeah. And that's that's what worries me a little bit looking ahead to the playoffs is I mean by playoff time Goron is gonna be thirty-five years old. That's crazy. And you know, old men can still shoot. So if he can do that, they're fine. I just worry though, because you know, getting Bradley, if you have Bradley healthy, I kinda offsets it a bit, but I don't want to have to rely on Kendrick Nunn as much as I would have to if Goron's not good. So that that's one concern I have moving forward for them. He's an old man who's who only had two months off before the regular season. Too. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the thing about this team too is like we always go, oh, the Lakers only had a certain amount of time off. Oh, the, the Heat got one more day off than the <laughs> Lakers did. Let's not act like the Nuggets, the Celtics the Heat and the Lakers aren't fucking exhausted right now. Like, let's just, let's not fool ourselves, right? But they're being professionals and they're playing and I haven't heard a complaint from any of them. And the Heat were, I will say this for the Heat. The Grizzlies, the Wizards, I guess the Wizards suck, so it didn't really matter. But they got edges by not having to play games when they had COVID, when they had people out with COVID. The Mavericks and the Heat did not get that same benefit of the doubt. They still had to go on with their games and played with depleted rosters, which is why their record is where it is. And Jimmy is having to pull them out of that hole. And again, I think Jimmy's a top 10 player, so he will pull them out of that hole. But yeah, I think they're the same exact team from last year. I will say they're relying way too much on Iguodala. I don't think he's good anymore. Um, I just don't. (laughs) He is not doing well when he's being pressured, dribbling up the court, which is very concerning for someone they trust to dribble a lot. <laughs> and he's never been able to shoot. I I just don't think that this Iguodala experiment, They I think he has a team option next year, and I would be shocked if they don't decline it. Absolutely shocked. Yeah, I thought the same thing. And again, this goes back to just the limited four depth they have. I mean... If they had anybody else 
if they had any slight upgrade over Iguodala, he would not play as much. And they, they just really have no other option. Like when when Jimmy and Bam go to the bench and you have Hero out, I mean, you got to give it to the guy that has at least done it before. He may not be able to do it now, but he's done it before. <laughs> I mean, that's that's basically the only option they have. And again, like as they get healthier and maybe make some changes, hopefully that reliance on on him uh, dials down a bit. But yeah, I I thought the same thing watching them this week. So okay, so if you're the Rocket or if you're the Rockets, yeah, would you do a trade? Like, let's just say you were the Heat and you threw in Iguodala for PJ Tucker. Um, let's just say Daniel House to make the salaries work, mm. and then some other like minimum guy, and like two first round picks or two first round picks attached to Iguodala. Would you do that if you're the Heat, and would you do that if you're the Rockets? Well, I can tell you, I do it as the Rockets because. They're kind of on a train to nowhere, I feel like, right now. Um, the Heat, I mean, I guess you kind of have to. Because, not to say that Jimmy's getting up there, but, like, he's kind of closing his prime years right now. And, obviously, the rest of, like, I mean, Hero and Bam are very young. But they got so close last year. And... Tucker and House would fix a lot of issues. I mean, your your wing your wing group is really really good at that point. So, I would I would probably say that's a good move because I mean those firsts aren't going to be that good anyway. Let's see. So I'm trying it on TradeNBA.com, which I think I like better than the ESPN Trade Machine because you can. It's failed because. The Rockets, okay. So Iguodala's salary is too big. I think if you did a Linux salary instead of instead of Iguodala, but I feel like Olinic actually would play for them still. Olinic's so good on offense that as a backup four that I think that you can mitigate or backup five. I like Olinic on offense. I think he's a good like you were talking about earlier. He's a crafty offensive player who draws the most bullshit fouls I've ever seen. <laughs> I can't like. I can't stand watching Kelly Olynyk, but goddamn if I don't respect him. Yeah, he is—he's good at basketball, but I just hate watching—I hate watching that style of play where you're doing the pump fakes, just trying to get the guy to jump into you, then shooting it. But hey, if it works, it works, I guess. But yeah, they just need some some kind of improvement at the four because it, what they have now isn't going to cut it. Just plain and simple, they need like you can't cut it with. Kelly Olynyk as your starting four trying to make the finals. I mean, they actually don't have a first round pick this year, I think, because I think their first round pick is probably going to go to OKC, if I'm not mistaken. OKC or Houston, but something like that. I don't, somehow the pick is going to end up somewhere else. Um, if you're the Heat, do you just try and maybe kick it for a year, kick the bucket for a year and maybe try to get a high lottery pick and integrate them and try again next year? Or do you think that they should go all in and try to improve their odds as much as they can for this year? I mean, I kind of think they're windows now because again, like that's why you got Jimmy, you know, you didn't get Jimmy to kick the can down the road a few years. And I, I mean, last year may have been a little bit of overachievement that, they're not going to see again. 
but I don't know. It's just what makes it tough is the Nets. It's like, can you really imagine yourself beating the Nets if you get this guy? And the type of guys they're looking at, like, I don't think P.J. Tucker helps them beat the Nets. So that, that's the problem. We, I mean, I think they could beat the Bucks just because I think they have the better coach. I think they could beat the Sixers because they have the better coach. <laughs> I mean, their defensive scheming with Spolster is so good that I think they could beat anyone. It's just the Nets have so much damn talent. And we haven't seen KD, but Kyrie and Harden play very well together. Like, I think Harden has done a really good job of stepping back a little bit. And, I mean, he has been great in his role. Like, for him to go from being the lead guy for so long to just kind of stepping back and hitting open threes, dribbling a little bit, I mean – and, and we talked about this a lot with, with KD, that he doesn't really need the ball much either. Like, I actually think that – I wasn't a huge fan of the Harden trade at first. I thought they were going to have to do some further shuffling, but I actually really like the way it's worked out. So, it's like you just have to look at yourself as one of these teams in the East, whether it's the Heat or anyone else, and be like, is this trade really going to be worth it? Because can we really take down a, a big three like that? So – that's that's the issue, and and like you said, there's not a ton of fours out there. So it's unless you can somehow, you know, cough up enough change to get like a Jeremy Grant type. It's just it's it's really it's probably hard to justify going all in right now. Yeah, firepower is the name of the game right now, and I think it's one of the reasons why you know when they're healthy, I think the Pacers have a better chance than probably the Heat or the Celtics do. Because those teams don't have the firepower that the Pacers have. And I think to compete with the Nets, I could see Philly doing it, Philly and Milwaukee doing it, because the big men that they have, like even if DJ's trying, like even if DJ's trying, he's going to have a hard time with Embiid on offense. Embiid is so fucking good at this point. Like he can do, like what the Raptors did to him, the Nets aren't going to be able to do, right? And what the... What the Heat did to Giannis, the Nets aren't going to be able to do last year in the playoffs. I think that the top of the East is tough, and you're right. I don't know if a trade for a power forward would put the Heat over the top, but you got to try something. You can't just sit on your hands and do nothing if you're trying to win this year. And we all know Pat Riley at this point is nothing but all in. Like, like it's a wonder that he's kept Bam and Tyler Hero around this long, but just knowing his tendencies as a general manager. But um, I think we've touched on everything we wanted to touch on with the heat. Um, Anything else Dylan? before we wrap it up? That's all I got. That's all I got. Um, Nothing else. No, that wasn't, that wasn't good. That wasn't good. I I tried. (laughs) You got, you got to shoot. I'm a volume shooter, Dylan. And sometimes it it was worth a shot. (laughs) All right. So from, from one young soul to another, listen, I don't have to threaten you to buy this book. You can watch the thing. You can watch the videos on YouTube, but if you don't even watch the videos on YouTube, I'm going to go to your home. I'm going to wait till you walk outside. I'm going to creep up behind you with a soccer ball and I'm going to throw it directly at the back of your knee. Do you realize how much that hurts? I have, I'm not acting like I'm, you know, Greg Maddox here, but I feel like that's a general area big enough for me to hit. So you better buy or watch Dylan Hughes's from one young soul to another on YouTube or just buy the book on Amazon. It's like $5. You get a cup of coffee for $5. Come on now. 
Um, <laughs> and then heavy pockets, Dylan. Um, all these great financial writing from you. Um, Battleground, they'll have a new Battleground out tomorrow. This is a really busy news week, Dylan. We talked about the Ryan Saunders stuff at the top. We had the Carson Wentz news. We had just a lot of news this week, Dylan. I mean, really, really busy news. And uh, Russell Wilson kind of demanded a trade. You you read the Schefter tweet, I assume. Was Russell Wilson demanding a trade or was he not? I'm confused. He, I think he passively aggressively did which is the worst way to do it. I I have a major problem with passive aggressive people. Um, we've we've seen it on our on our side of the uh, sports world with LeBron plenty of times. Uh, so not a huge fan of it. I love Russell Wilson, but uh, I not a not a fan of the style here. He said, "I am not. I'm not. I want to play in Seattle, but if I am traded." I will play in <laughs> blank, 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 blank. Because like, I, I definitely haven't thought about it or anything. But, you know, just off the top of my head, this team, this team, this team, this team. I replied to someone on Twitter. And I don't remember who I replied to. But is is basically saying, I'm not asking for a trade, but I'm also not not asking for a trade. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a really busy news week. And, um Bryce and JD are both very passionate about the all-star game. Um, JD, I think will blow a gasket about Zion getting in. So you're going to, you're going to want to check that out for sure. Zach Griffith in circle city cinema, they're going to be really busy. So they're going to be starting. He's going to have like three series going on at once. We're going to be wrapping up WandaVision only two episodes left. He's starting a fast and furious series with JD um, Bryce and Devin Voss, our good friend. And then he's going to be starting the favorite movie series, including starting next week with coming to America with Caleb Blinn, because what comes out on Friday, May 5th or March 5th. That's right. Coming to America. So it's going to be perfect timing. You know, it'll almost be like we planned it. Um, So you're going to want to check out circle city cinema. A lot of great stuff coming out of there. And he still has an X-Men two monologue that I got to edit. So Zach is just pumping out content at like a ferocious rate. Go check him out. Um, Triple option pass hiatus, but they'll be back with some draft stuff relatively soon. I don't know when the draft is, but probably in like end of April. So as long as they got some, some episodes up by then, you know, that'll be cool. Right. And then Lynn sanity college basketball. Um, I don't, I have not heard them talk about your Purdue Boilermakers Dylan Hughes. Um, how, how are your Purdue Boilermakers doing this season? Um, you know, they're doing okay. They had a, they had a cup of coffee with the top 25. But, you know, the Big Ten is tough. I mean, the Big Ten every year gets better and better. It's really it's really fun. Like, I think right now, I think they have at least three teams in the top ten, two in the top five. I mean, I think, like, by the time the tournament rolls around, which is very soon, there's going to be a lot of Big Ten representation because there's a lot going on. And, and – and, I can say with a warm heart that IU will not be one of those teams. So it just years like this just really make you smile. So, okay. So we got Michigan at three, Ohio state at four, Illinois at five, and then Iowa at nine. So yeah, let's see. Also receiving votes. Purdue started almost. So they're 28th in the nation. Dylan Hughes. They're, they're right on that brink and like it, they got in and then I think they lost to like Minnesota or someone like it's just tough because 
And that's why, like, I mean, I think Michigan's only lost one game at this point. Correct. I, that's that's why, like, the Big Ten strength of schedule, it's like, if you're in the Big Ten, your strength of schedule is so good. You're going to have a good shot of making the tournament if you're just decent because you have so much damn competition every night. It's like you can't blame a team for losing 15 games when they play some of the best teams in the nation. So, that I mean – Purdue is young. Like I'm not expecting them to make much of a run, but it's it's just fun to see Matt Painter every year pull a rabbit out of his hat and like put a bunch of three star recruits and turn them into a great team. I just, it's fun. It's all, always fun with Purdue um, college basketball. They're always entertaining. I the Carson Edwards team was very entertaining. I admittedly don't pay much attention to college basketball, but um, I'm glad someone on this podcast does. And also, um, we. I don't remember if I said this at the top, but I'll say it now. Our teams for the next week are the Magic, the Grizzlies, and the Trailblazers. So that's that's going to be an exciting cap to our um, to our season. We'll be back the week after that with uh, with all NBA teams, and then we'll be back back with the Suns, the Mavericks, and the Wizards, right where we started. So, Dylan Hughes, thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful episode. Thank you. Thank you.